Welcome to Insights and Indicators. I'm Jason Thomas, Carlisle's Head of Global Research and Investment Strategy. And in this podcast, I share our observations and opinions on the economic landscape, as well as insights from research being conducted by our team here at Carlisle. Today, we're discussing opportunities in private credit, and I'm joined by Alex Popoff, Head of Private Credit and Head of Carlisle Credit Opportunities. This episode was recorded on August 2nd, 2023, and the discussion reflects composite portfolio data and analysis of recent government reports that are accurate as of that date. Before I get to Alex, I just wanted to quickly summarize some of the insights we derived from our portfolio data in July 2023. I would say that really the key takeaway from from this month's data is that corporate price setting behavior has normalized. As we all know, the pandemic resulted in acute shortages of components, parts, semiconductors, chemicals, and other necessary inputs, many of which, of course, account for a very small share of a good's final sales price. But those shortages allowed management teams, many of whom had never previously pushed on price, to wield newfound market power to demand price increases, sometimes exceeding 40% on a cross-the-board basis. And of course, their customers then passed those price increases on to end markets, which is how we ended up with 9% to 10% consumer price inflation. Our July portfolio data suggests that this process has largely run its course. Input prices aren't rising anymore. And in fact, half of the components and parts in our index actually showed price declines over the last 12 months. In addition, pricing power, which we define as the collective ability of companies to raise the prices they charge faster than the prices they pay for inputs and labor, is back to pre-pandemic levels. So the combination of rebuilt capacity, uh, the shift in household spending away from durable goods and towards services, and then also monetary tightening have combined to really make subsequent round of broad-based price increases untenable. This is great news. And and I think that the, the decline in inflation has, of course, led to some greater transparency into where rates are likely to peak this cycle. And and I think that currently Fed funds rate is about 5.4%. Maybe there's one more rate increase coming. But but again, I think that we're we're essentially at peak rates for the cycle. What I think the market has to turn its attention to is how long rates are going to remain near current levels. And I think it could be for much, much longer than is currently contemplated. Uh, The U.S. economy continues to operate at capacity. There is no slack in the system to make a central banker feel comfortable that that inflation is going to return back down to target. It's still 150 to 200 basis points above target. Uh, In addition, inflation today is mainly a services sector phenomenon. And and wages are the main driver of prices. And, And of course, labor markets remain very, very tight with labor demand far exceeding supply and wages increasing at a 6 to 7% annual rate. In addition, much of the year-over-year disinflation on an economy-wide basis is attributable to the fall of energy costs. And now this is jeopardized by the 19% jump in oil prices over the last month. So really, our, our expectation is for what I would describe as inertial monetary policy from here, with rates that are stuck in a 5 to 6% range, really for some time. And again, what I suggest somewhat longer than, than markets are currently contemplating. And so with that backdrop, uh, now I'd like to turn to Alex 
And, and of course, this, this rate shock, this increase in rates has had enormous impact on, on capital markets, deal finance activity, and the availability of credit. And I'm just wondering, what are the sorts of changes that you've seen in your market as a result of, of these shifts in rates? Uh, thank you, Jason, for having me on this podcast and good morning, everyone. Um, maybe I'll start answering the question with a little bit of a background. The, the first level of impact for companies raising capital is, of course, the increase in, in cost of capital as base rates have moved from near zero to where they are today near 5%. The, the secondary impact, the probably more pronounced impact, is that this rapid change has caused a dislocation in what we would call traditional sources of capital to the transactional economy, whether it is high yield or broadly syndicated loans, both of those markets have been meaningfully impacted. To provide some context for that, in 2022, high yield market issuance was down by 78%. Broadly syndicated loan market was down by 44%. In total, there was about $800 billion of lost capital or lost capital supply. In 2023, the environment is really not changing meaningfully. While you do have a reversal, slight reversal in high yield market um, and some supply of capital returning, uh, high yield has increased by about 40% last year. Uh, broadly syndicated loan markets are down again, another 35%. And the reason for that is that many of the CLOs, which are big buyers of broadly syndicated loans, are coming out of their reinvestment period. So in totality, that's another $30 billion of demand that's decreased. So that's a, a very meaningful impact for the transactional economy, whether it's M&A or leveraged buyout transactions, which not surprisingly, as a result, are down. Uh, M&A is down 40% this year. P activity is down about 60% this year. If you put those two markets in context, historically, they've accounted for about 75% of the financing to those markets. The other 25 is private credit. Private credit has grown over the last you know, 15 years at a pretty steady clip. And today, and over the last 18 months, finds itself in a position where it is, in many ways, the only supplier of capital to a potential leveraged buyout transaction, to M&A or to refinancings that need to get done. So as a result, while you have a slowdown in terms of number of transactions, most of these transactions are coming to, to private credit. That with itself leads to certain benefits and certain drawbacks. Obviously, private credit typically is a more expensive cost of capital. However, it does bring with it certainty of execution bespoke nature of the way the transactions are structured and uh, the ability to deal with fewer counterparties as a transaction progresses. So this notion of private credit being a game in town, this is something you've heard, you know, suggested. I'm wondering how permanent you expect these, these changes are. Is, is this just the way that, that deal finance uh, is, is going to operate from, from this point forward? Or, or how do you see the market evolving uh, as, as people digest the rate shock going forward? Yeah, this uh, a question uh, is spot on. Private credit has been around for over 15 years. 
right around the, the great financial crisis, private credit was just not big enough. Uh, at the time, the industry was about two to $300 billion. Private credit was just not big enough to be a meaningful uh, substitute for broadly syndicated loans or high yield. Fast forward to today, private credit is over $1 trillion, $1.2 trillion of assets on the management industry. And it can provide a substitution for some of the more traditional markets. As a matter of fact, over the last 12 months, there have been over $30 billion in plus transactions done in private credit. Compare this to pre-2019, one deal a year, maybe. So the private credit market has brought with it as I mentioned earlier, alluded to a lot of other benefits to borrowers, such as ability to create a bespoke transaction, ability to evolve with the capital structure of the company, uh, certainty of close, as well as the fact that you're dealing as a borrower with fewer counterparties. Now, as time progresses and rates eventually normalize, stabilize, or start coming down, I do expect that you will have return of the high yield market and as uh, CLO formation becomes easier to execute on, the broadly syndicated loan market will come back as well. And that market should, over the long run, provide a cheaper cost of capital than private credit and uh, work together with private credit in, in essence on many transactions. But private credit importance in the transactional economy has just increased meaningfully and will stay at those elevated levels for the foreseeable future. When thinking about uh, the, the size of uh, private credit in, in the individual company capital structure, you know, again, today we're talking about some deals that are entirely financed by private credit. Of course, that was often the case in the middle market. Now you mentioned a lot of deals over 1 billion. Again, it, it, as you suggested, we hadn't seen previously. But, but going forward, it seems that you could still just be a larger slice of many deals, capital structures. Is this a uh, subordinated piece? Uh, it, it, do you think they'll be more of the senior uh, piece of the capital structure? How do you see private credit in terms of, again, when, when you have a reopening of these alternative sources of finance? That's a very good point, uh, Jason. Private credit is a combination of capital offered at different parts of the capital structure and different costs, anything from unit tranches to second liens that are privately placed to a preferred tranche in a transaction. And what's been taking a lot of mind share is that in this market today, private credit is at many, in many instances, the entire capital structure. Um, that, that has not always been the case, and that certainly will evolve going forward. What many of us have been seeing and uh, experiencing is what we call conversions between the liquid and the private credit markets. Some of the larger capital structures today when the borrower is looking for a solution, they're going out to all possible sources of capital. They're going out to the broadly syndicated loan market, to the high yield market, and to the private credit market. And I see a, a settling out where those three markets are going to work together. And for many of those larger issuers, you're going to need all three of them in order to get a transaction done. Now, certainly, there's going to be companies that are going to be able to be serviced just in the broadly syndicated loan markets or companies that are going to prefer the, the bespoke nature of private credit. 
but convergence is something that we should expect going forward. One final question about that, that convergence, because one of the things that we focused on in our research is just the idea that there are a lot of companies in the, the market today whose capital structures seem designed for a different era. That, that is to say that they, they were financed at a time when base rates were zero, base rates were expected to remain zero for a long, long time. As you remember, in 2021, expectations were that the first Fed rate hike would not come until 2024. And, uh, you know, it, it seems we have a maturity wall coming up in 2025 through 2028. It, it seems to me that a lot of those companies are going to have a very difficult time just rolling over liabilities on, on the same terms uh, that, that when they were originally financed. And, and I'm wondering, what, what do you see going forward for private credit in its role of, of helping these businesses refinance into what would ultimately prove to be more sustainable capital structures? Well, first, you're, you're right. There is a large universe of businesses, as you pointed out, that were financed in a different market environment with both cost of capital base rates and to some degree margins going up. Uh, the cost of capital for many of these companies exceeds their ability to generate cash today. That will need to be solved. That will need to be solved sometimes because of maturity. That's, uh, as you suggested, the maturity wall of 2025 and beyond. Uh, or sometimes just because the company needs, needs to be able to service that debt and continue to invest in the business. So there is a what I call sometimes the pipeline of inevitability. I think we do see a significant pipeline of balance sheets that are going to need help. That help can come in one of three ways. One is the equity is going to need to contribute additional dollars to delever the capital structure and allow for a refinancing. Two is the company adjusting its operations and its cost structure to accommodate the higher cost of capital that they are now paying in, in cash. Or three is something in the middle, a bespoke solution that private credit is best suited to provide where it can take a part of that capital structure, structure an investment that relieves some of that cash burden, but in turn takes meaningful upside or some form of upside and allows the company to continue to execute on its business plan and uh, minimizes the need for new equity dollars to come in. And that is something that we are seeing today. Uh, we're seeing this today probably for companies that need it most. But the pipeline is pretty robust and the, the near the future pipeline is looking also pretty attractive. So uh, these bespoke solutions, what, what are they? Is it, is it payment and kind notes? Is it uh, a series of warrants uh, on the company? What, are these, what does this look like? Well, it starts with what's the need. The need for the businesses today, particularly the ones we talked about, would be adjusting its cost of capital, cash cost of capital mostly. As a result, that solution will need to have a pick component or a meaningfully skew towards pick to allow for a refinancing. It will also likely need to come in junior to the senior debt that's in place. So as a result, private credit will be providing solutions that are mostly pick that will be meaningfully more expensive than the, the current solutions that the companies have in exchange for that pick. And that cost can be expressed either as uh, contractual all pick or it can be expressed as contractual plus some upside in the form of warrants in the form of conversion into equity or otherwise I see so it's it's a much higher cost of capital to the business which of course they don't like but 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 they're they're willing to do it or in fact have to do it 
because it, it creates so much more space with, with regard to, to reduction in the cash interest expense. That's right. If the need for these companies is going to be to right size is cash cost of capital without you know, an equity injection or without changing the business model and changing the cost structure. And that's where private credit would come in. There are certainly situations where the need for capital is actually to accelerate growth in a market environment where capital is constrained. There are a number of business models out there that rely heavily on tucking M&As and executing on those tucking M&As. In this market, access to capital to execute on that can allow a company to perform better than its rivals that do not have that access to capital. As a result, businesses and equity owners may be willing to give away some of that upside, again, in the form of warrants or otherwise, to execute on that business plan. Great. Well, well, Alex, thanks so much for taking the time to join me and for a great conversation. Thank you, Jason, and thank you, everyone. And on behalf of the team here at Carlyle, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us again for our next episode of Insights and Indicators.